everyone. Thanks for tuning in to The Real Deal Show, presented by eBodyboarding.com and Tribe Boards. On today's episode... Now, here's a funny thing. East Coasters. I grew up on the East Coast in Maryland. They measure using really small increments of body parts a lot of the time because a lot of the time the surf is small over there so to really delineate between just minor six inch increments in wave height they'll go it's ankle to shin high it's shin to knee high it's knee to thigh high well hey everyone jay real back with another episode of the real deal show happy to be here with you Sorry, the uh, Real Deal show release has been a little off uh, lately. The holidays have been busy. I was on a trip over the Thanksgiving break, kind of threw off my schedule. So I do try to release these every Sunday night, uh, but it doesn't always work out that way, as you have seen. But here I am back to bring you another show. We're in the midst of the holiday season here at ebodyboarding.com. And something I wanted to talk to you guys about, a topic I wanted to cover here on the Real Deal show and you can see the uh, the whiteboard behind me and my rudimentary artwork, <laughs> I guess you could call it. The topic of today's show is wave height. Yes, yes, wave height is an often discussed thing in the wave riding world. It is an often debated thing in the wave riding world. So, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone has their own way to measure waves, uh, depending on sometimes the individual or sometimes the geographic region that someone is in. And in my 42 plus years of riding waves and traveling all around the world, there really is no sort of standardization in the world of measuring waves. So what I'm going to do is give you my perspective on wave height and how I measure waves. Now, just to give you a little background, if you've watched some of the early episodes of The Real Deal Show, uh, I covered my background. I have a degree in earth science. Part of the earth science training is oceanography. And there is science there behind the measurement of waves. Basically, measuring, this is the basic way to do it, the measuring of a wave is done from trough to crest. And now because I'm going to use this visual aid here next to me, I'm going to pull the boom out of the way and just hand hold the mic. So uh, I'm going to explain this also for those who listen to the audio version of the podcast instead of those, you know, that you're watching me on YouTube right now, you have the visual experience. But uh, for those of you listening, I'm going to describe, I have a whiteboard here next to me with various wave measurement drawings. And I'm going to start with this one, which is on the top left-hand side of the whiteboard here. And this is the basic way wave height is measured. And this is done by scientists, oceanographers, the National Weather Service, and even now Surfline and many of the surf forecasting and reporting websites and services, they use this method, trough to crest. Um, is the way to measure a wave. So the trough would be the bottom of the wave. You can see down there, the crest is the top of the wave, right? So trough to crest, very simple, you know, and if you're talking about a breaking wave, that's going to be the trough down here at the bottom. 
and the crest is up at the top where the lip of the wave is or the the highest point in the wave. So um, what they do uh, in the surf forecasting world often, especially here in the United States, is there's a system of floating buoys out in the ocean of a distance offshore. Some of them are well offshore, like 50 miles off. Some are pretty close to the coastline. Um, and what happens is, and I have a drawing here, I'm going to explain again for my podcast listeners that aren't watching on YouTube. Um, you have a buoy floating in the water and as a swell approaches the buoy, it will, the buoy will sink down into the trough and then the wave will bring it up to the crest of the wave as the wave passes under the buoy and the distance from the lowest point that the buoy goes to the highest point that the buoy goes is known as the wave height. So it's, again, trough to crest. So buoys um, measure waves near shore, and I personally use buoy readings here in Southern California at specific buoys in my area to know what the wave height's going to be. But another very critical part of that calculation for me will be the period of the waves. And what is the period? Okay, let's take a fixed point in the ocean and a wave moves under that fixed or across that fixed point. In this case, we'll use the buoy. The buoy is in a fixed point. It's anchored to the bottom. And as the wave passes underneath the buoy, the buoy will then drop down in the trough and rise up on the next crest of a wave behind that, the first wave. And the amount of time between crests is called the wave period. And that has a huge impact on how a wave breaks, especially in certain parts of the world. Um, Generally speaking, here in Southern California, we get a whole mixed bag of wave periods. There can be a long period swell where there's, you know, 20, 22, even 25 seconds between crests as they pass under a buoy. That type of swell is coming from a long distance away, usually a storm up in uh, the, the Gulf of Alaska or down off New Zealand. That's what we used to call a New Zealand swell. Now they call it a southern hemi swell. So those swells, what happens is, imagine taking a pebble and going to a a pond and dropping the pebble in the middle of the pond, right? You get these concentric rings that emanate from the point where the pebble hit the water. And as those rings move away from that impact point, they get further and further apart, Right, So if the same thing works with a storm that generates a swell, if the storm is close by the coast, those concentric rings of swell coming from that storm will be close together, a shorter period. But as that, those rings get further and further away from the generation point, they get further and further apart. So you could extrapolate that the longer the swell period the further away the storm was that generated it. Um, And it it can have a lot of energy for a long way. I mean, we get storms off New Zealand that send swell to Southern California. That's thousands and thousands of miles. And yes, the swell does decay as it travels that distance, but it can still hold a lot of power. We've seen some huge Southern Hemi swells 
here in Southern California. Um, how they break has a lot to do with the swell period. So, for example, if we get a uh, you know a northwest swell that's uh, say five feet at eight seconds or five feet at ten second period, that's going to be pretty peaky. Um, and there's certain spots that can pick up that type of swell and make it really good. Um, I won't say the names of those spots. You can figure it out on your own. The East Coast of the United States often gets a lot of short period swell, especially, uh, you know, the mid-Atlantic and northward because these big low-pressure systems move off the East Coast and generate um, locally generated shorter period swell. And that's why there's a lot of peaky surf in, on the East Coast, because those storms are close to the coast, really quick jump up, short period swells. Um, when you get a hurricane swell on the East Coast, for example, and the storm is well off the coast, say out by Bermuda, um, you get a long period swell. And often the beach breaks on the East Coast can't handle those longer period swells because they're the big long lines, they're not broken up short period lines, they're big long period lines, and they will close out more. Um, so on the East Coast, for most spots, a shorter period swell, a storm close to the coast is going to be better in terms of the, the quality of the waves, the shape of the waves. It will be more short-lived because the storms will move away from the coast, the swell dies quickly, but you will get better quality of surf. Um, here in Southern California, our optimal scenario is what we call a combo swell for at least for the beach break spots. And that's where we get a Southern Hemi swell or something coming from the South and Northwest at the same time, because that will create peaky surf. Even if it's a longer period swell, when you have those two swells meet at the same time, they can form peaks. Otherwise, you want you know a more locally generated swell if it's just from one direction that'll give you peakier surf. The exceptions would be reef breaks and point breaks because the bottom contour at those type of spots can improve the shape of the waves. Boy, I got a lot deeper into this than I expected to, to be honest with you. Um, wave heights. Okay, let's talk about this. So I mentioned trough to crest is the official scientific way to measure waves. That's the way most of the surf forecasting and reporting agencies will report the wave. So this picture here, I'm showing a picture, by the way, for the podcast listeners of my stick figure drawing of a guy on a surfboard and a way he's on a wave. And you can see, and let's say the average male on a surfboard is, let's say, five foot ten to six feet tall. So if he's standing straight up on the surfboard, he's at the bottom of the wave. I have a picture of a wave that's a bit higher than his head, maybe a couple of feet higher than his head. So that would be an eight-foot high wave, right? That's the crest at the top. That's the trough at the bottom. The surfer is in the trough. And that wave is a couple of feet over his head. So that makes it an eight-foot face wave. Now, you know, a lot of times you'll have a wave that's real peaky. It might be eight feet right at the peak, but it tapers off on each side, right and left, quickly. But, you know, the, the, the initial part of the wave is eight feet high. So, you know, this would be like an eight-foot wave right here in this picture that I just described and that I'm showing you guys and girls watching on YouTube right now. Um, I will say this. Some places in the world that I've traveled, and I'll use Hawaii as a classic example. Um, first time I went to Hawaii was in 1982, and I pulled up to Pipeline, and there were 
waves that were bigger than anything I had ever seen in my life. Giant, giant surf at Pipeline. And to me, those waves were 15 feet high. But the locals were calling them eight feet. And I'm looking out there and I'm going, how are you calling that eight feet? That wave is like three times over the, the surfer's head. And unless the surfer is, you know, uh, a giant, <laughs> that wave is an eight feet high, right? So um, what I learned pretty quickly is that in Hawaii, they have what they call the Hawaiian scale or Hawaiian size. And it's generally the face height cut in half. So if you see a 15-foot high wave, it's around eight feet, and that's what they would call it on the North Shore. The old school guys over there, and a lot of the locals, they still measure the the waves by half the face height. So, uh, you know, if if you pull up to the beach there and they say it's three feet, it's really six feet high. Just remember that when you go to Hawaii. Now, Australia is even more strange. A lot has to do with how the wave is breaking. And on my drawing here, for those of you, again, listening, there's a couple different types of waves. Waves break differently. You can have a plunging wave, which is a wave that jacks out and pitches and is hollow. Or you can have kind of a more rolling wave, like the kind of waves like maybe a longboarder would want to ride. It's, it's the, the face of the wave is not very steep. And Australians, at least is what they told me back in the day, is they kind of measure a wave with a mixture of how high is the wave and how it's breaking, right? So you can have a five-foot rolling wave or you can have a five-foot barreling wave, and they'll be totally different size-wise. So a five-foot barreling wave in Australia, I would probably call something around an eight-foot face. Um, A rolling wave, five-foot in Australia, would be a pretty good size wave, but it breaks different. So it's, it's really, it really muddles that whole wave measurement thing. And maybe some of you Australians can chime in in the comments below, if you're uh, watching on YouTube, how you measure waves. But I'm pretty scientific about it, man. I'm, I'm, I do my daily uh, surf report on our Instagram story every day. I'm giving you face heights. And I even say that usually in the report. So that's how I measured. I mean, that's pretty easy to understand for almost anyone is the wave face height. Um, Because let's face it, you know, some people, they used to say, oh, I, you know, I measure by the open ocean swell. So, you know, why? You're not riding the open ocean swell. You're not riding the back of the wave. You're riding the face of the wave. I want to know how big the face is. And in fact, they have this event, this uh, big wave surfing event every year where people submit videos of themselves riding gigantic waves like in Nazare or Jaws or Mavericks or other big wave spots. And they determine the winner by looking at photographs of that person on the wave. Often those photographs can be shot from a cliff, which changes the perspective of the wave, which could impact how the size of the wave looks. Um, but th- what they do is they look at the surfer when they're at the bottom of the wave. That's what the, the picture they'll take. And they will look and see if that surfer is crouched down or standing straight up. And they'll determine how high the per- how tall the person is in their position on their board at the time. And then they'll basically just 
stack that on top of each other till they get to the top of the wave. So it's extremely unscientific. Well, it's hard to measure a wave that's breaking, right? Because it's constantly moving. Um, again, you're at a, a strange perspective. Sometimes when you're shooting it, you might be up on a sand dune or up on a cliff or whatever the case may be, or in a boat. So, you know, there is no perfect way to measure waves, but they give away a lot of money in that big wave event. So, you know, um, that little bit of, uh, of, of, you know, arbitrary measurement can mean a big payday for someone, you know, if two waves are really close in the photos to being the same size, it's anybody's guess how they decide who's going to get that, that prize. But anyway, I digress. So let's look at a strange spot like Chopu. I said that wrong. Um, sorry about that, but it's in Tahiti. We all know the spot. It's a crazy giant slabbing spot that gets huge and crazy hollow and gnarly. This is my crude drawing of Chopu with a surfer in the barrel. And in a wave like that, it has almost no back on it. So as the way, if you're out there in the lineup and the wave passes you by, you look back as the wave goes under you, it looks like flat. But what happens is that wave will hit the reef and just the whole chunk of water will just slab out, will surge out and form a barrel very shallow over the reef. And that is what we call a ledge or a slab wave. Um, bodyboarders have pioneered many of the slab waves around the world. Um, Chopes is one of them. Uh, there's others, and a lot around Australia in particular. And, you know, some of those dudes are absolute maniacs. That's not me. <laughs> um, but there's some famous ones. Shark Island, super crazy slab wave. Obviously, Chopes. There's the right uh, even ship sterns um, down in uh, Tasmania, pretty um, gnarly, crazy, slabby wave. So, yeah, a lot of slabby waves um, pioneered by bodyboarders. But my point with all of this is to point out that there are different ways to measure waves in different parts of the world, but the universal standard, at least according to you know scientists, would be the, the face height of the wave. So um, when you look at surf reports uh, online, um, they'll say, you know, four to five feet, you can assume that's going to be somewhere in the chest to shoulder high range. Now, here's a funny thing. East Coasters, I grew up on the East Coast in Maryland. They measure using really small increments of body parts a lot of the time because a lot of the time the surf is small over there. So to really delineate between just minor six inch increments in wave height, they'll go, it's ankle to shin high, it's shin to knee high, it's knee to thigh high, not thigh to stomach high and so forth. Out here in California, we do the same when the surf is smaller, but not the six inch increments. So we'll go ankle to knee, knee to waist, waist to chest, and so forth. So we skip some of those really micro measurements here on the West Coast that they use back East. Um, those are obviously easy to understand. If somebody says it's stomach high, well, you know, that's, I mean, my stomach is probably, what, two and a half feet off the ground. I'm five foot eight. So um, I know how big a stomach high wave is. Um, but anyway, I digress again. Just wanted to point out that there are many different ways to measure waves. 
Um, you can pick your own, but when you hear the professional forecast, they're going to use face heights. Learn to read the buoys in your area, because especially here in Southern California, because the beaches face different directions. Um, you know, Surfline is a good example. They may say, oh, it's, you know, four to six feet in Huntington Beach, which is up in northern Orange County. We're down here in southern Orange County. We don't get as much northwest swell as they do up in Huntington. So it can be four to six feet from the northwest up there. Down here might be half that size, two to three feet. Depends on the direction of the swell. Um, They'll often give on the buoys and on the surf reports the compass direction of the swell. So due north is zero degrees. Then due south is 180 degrees. Uh, a west swell would be 270 degrees. So learn to know which direction your coastline faces. And, you know, you'll know the angle the swell's coming at. Maybe it has to wrap into your coastline. It's going to decline in size as it wraps in. The swell period has a lot to do with how big the waves will be at your spot too. I know spots just in my local area here that do really well on that longer period swell. They like focus that longer period. Um, and I know spots that are better on the shorter period. They'll focus better on the shorter period. It can literally, at, at one of the places I ride regularly, a long period northwest swell will hit this one particular spot. It'll be overhead and literally 200 yards to the north at this other little spot. It'll be one third the size because that other spot doesn't pick up the longer period swell. So before you go casting doubt on the surf forecasting and reporting agencies, learn to read buoys and swell directions. Make mental notes when you go to your local beach of, you know, oh, okay, this is a, a, a swell from 290 degrees. It's got a 15-second period, and it's three feet at 15 seconds. That's the buoy reading. What does it look like at the beach? Make a mental note of that, and the next time you have a swell hitting the buoy like that, you'll know, okay, this is the spot to go to. You know, For me, 42 years of riding waves and studying earth science in college, have a degree in it, and studying the surf every day, the buoys and everything, I can pretty much get up in the dark, which I do every morning, look at the buoys and know where to go before I can even see the surf on any of the cameras, just based on buoy readings, you know, and I always see people, oh man, you know, such and such surf reporting said it was going to be six to eight feet and it's like two to three feet. Well, it might be six to eight feet at some of the beaches in that region um, that pick up that particular swell period, direction, and size. But if you don't study this stuff, you're never going to know where to go ahead of time. And and you're going to have to wait till it gets light enough to see the cameras and make your call. So that's your basic tutorial on wave height. I hope I enlightened you a little bit. I will say this, folks. um, You know, I have ideas for future shows. I have some folks I want to interview. But I'd love to hear from you. If you could email me at jay at ebodyboarding.com with any ideas you might have for future shows, things maybe that you want me to cover like this, you know, where I kind of give you tutorials on kind of basics that um, might help you find the best waves or 
any how-to stuff. I mean, we have a lot of how-to videos on the YouTube channel you can check out, but um, I'm always open to do more, and I've had some suggestions that I've followed through with and made videos of, so we'd love to hear from you what you would like to hear from us. Um, And I enjoy bringing these shows to you. I hope you uh, get something out of them. I'll look forward to seeing you again. That's going to do it for this episode of The Real Deal Show. Make sure to subscribe. Give me the thumbs up if you liked it, if you're on YouTube, and throw some comments below if you listened on the podcast. Hope you enjoyed the listen during your drive, your workout, or whatever you're doing. And uh, folks, we will see you in the surf.